Well, welcome to the Redemptification Podcast. It's going to be fun today. We've got Luke Henry here, founder and principal of doing some amazing work at Henry Development Group as focused on connecting the historic buildings with modern day uses and and loving on a downtown in Marion. And so he's a, he's a neat guy. He came to see us and brought his family. I thought, what an interesting field trip for the kids to come see Opelika for a little bit. And we had a, a lot of fun talking. And I'm grateful to have him here today because he's trying to love a place and he's an actual practitioner showing up, not hollering from the stands, but wearing his pads down on the field doing something. And uh, he's buying places and loving them and trying. And uh, anybody that's doing that, we um, we do honor you for trying. So thank you for being with us. Absolute pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. And today I also have my my amazing friend Ty Maloney here. So we do have adult supervision today. You will actually get a chance to have something you can take home with you with him here. Thanks, Ty, for being here. Glad to be here. So, guys, as we get going, it's interesting your journey um, that that really kind of started, if I understand it, entrepreneurially, and then you you've become more entrepreneurially promiscuous and headed into other things. But tell us how this thing starts. How does your you know your career start thinking about entrepreneurship and then loving a place? Well, John, I'm still trying to decide what I want to be when I grow up. Have been now for. Uh... I don't know, 25 years, 30 years, something like that now. But um, so really, it starts way back in uh, junior high. I started mowing lawns, as many kids mm -hmm. do, and uh, got my first job mowing for my great, great aunt and uncle. I made $5 for two and a half hours worth of work and uh, took those $5 bills and collected them and saved them and uh, ended up buying a, a mower at a garage sale. And I was in business. And uh, that Venture started me off. I kind of liked the idea of working for myself and making a little bit of money. I love being outside. My, my grandparents were farmers, so I think I got that from them. And uh, so I, I built a landscaping business, which I still have today. Uh, hmm. That's been uh, going for about 25 years. And um, about five years ago, I had uh, what my wife calls a midlife seizure <laughs> and uh, decided that I wanted to do something a little bit different and a little bit bold. And uh, we'd been buying some rental properties. I bought my first rental property when I was 19, when I was in college, fixed it up. It was way worse than what I thought it was as they usually are, but uh, learned a lot of lessons through that one and was, uh, I guess, crazy enough to, to buy some more and kept buying them uh, through, through our first several years of marriage. And anyway, five years ago, uh, I started looking at our downtown in our hometown of Marion, Ohio. And what I saw wasn't real great. I had heard mm -hmm. the stories of uh, from lots of folks in my parents and grandparents' generation that this was where they went school shopping. This is where they went on Friday, Saturday nights. This is where they ate meals, had community, went shopping, were entertained, walked the streets, drove the streets. And uh, when, when I came along about five years ago, there wasn't much of that going on at all. And there'd been a little bit of effort and there had been some folks that had done some good work, but it was not happening real quickly. And what we were seeing was there would be a new business come, a new restaurant, and there just wasn't the critical mass to really get a lot of momentum going. So I uh, met a guy who was also interested in doing some of this type of work. And uh, we had lunch one day, it was July 5th, 2018, and uh, I proposed a partnership to him where we uh, buy some buildings on this one block of South Main Street. At that time, that block was 70% vacant. So there wasn't a whole lot going on, but we had an opportunity to, uh, to buy some buildings. And so we bought eight buildings quietly. We called ourselves Main Street Reimagined. We unveiled our plan and uh, it was off to the races. Well, that's awesome. It's incredible that you guys, I mean, you heard the stories from your family and that's a lot of us. I mean, Ash, my wife would say, man, when I went to downtown Opelika, when I was a little kid, it was like going to New York. I mean, it was fabulous. The streets were packed. The stores were, were thoughtfully curated. And so you had heard similar stories. 
did you know anybody else buying up downtowns at that time? Or did it, you just say, hey, this is a decent opportunity. Let's make a project out of this and try to buy as much as we can in this in this block. Yeah, I actually did have a friend of mine from college that I was in uh, singing groups with that we kind of stayed in contact through social media. And he was doing uh, some similar work in uh, his uh, or close to a town close to his hometown and uh, had bought quite a few buildings and was making them look beautiful and was doing all this stuff. And he made he made look really easy. So I figured uh, it had, had to be easy. And so uh, we were, you know, we were crazy enough to to bite it off. And I'm sure we'll get into the, some of the discussions about, you know, how it was not in fact easy, the same as your journey has been, I know, but um, you know, it looked easy from the outside anyway. Well, and and would you say, is it a, um, your, your initial process of thinking about this? Did you think, Hey, these are good deals. Did you think, man, I need to do this to save my community. Was there a blend of for purpose and for profit? How were you thinking as you decided to make such a commitment? And secondly, how did you pick your partner and his skills? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, first of all, I mean, my thinking has really evolved on this, of course, as we've went through and actually done some work and taken some hits and all that sort of thing. But it seemed on the surface to be a reasonable investment. And um, also, we literally, I remember sitting there and I said to him, you know, if we don't do this, who's going to do it? And that really was a lot of the motivation was just to say, man, we, we want to raise our families in this community. And we know that downtowns can be something really special. We've seen it in other communities where their downtown has you know, a great, great community. That's where people gather once again and, and have uh, events and, and go out to eat and, and do some of their shopping and, and just meet people that they know on the street. And we wanted that for our hometown. And so we said, Hey, you know, if, if it can be done, why not us? And so let's go for it. Now we were so incredibly naive <laughs> at that time. Uh, it was, it, I mean, it's laughable. Now he had, he had done a little bit of, kind of cursory research and and had got what he thought were reasonable quotes on some of the rehab costs on a few of the buildings. And, and as is often the case, you know, I mean, the, the, the buildings were cheap. I mean, although that's basically irrelevant, <laughs> um, but you know, there was the one, the one place that ultimately became a wedding venue for us. Uh, he had estimated the rehab costs on that at about $250,000. Well, all said and done, it had end up being a million and then there was another building yeah yeah there was another (laughs) building that he said could be you know a hundred thousand it was four hundred thousand so now it's a trend going here yeah yeah i just quadruple anything he tells me (laughs) and it works out perfectly (laughs) but as boy is that hurts i I mean (laughs) all of us have experienced this and the i think the main challenge if you can't estimate what you don't specify And it's very difficult to specify what you're going to do when you're just looking from the outside of these, these properties. Right. Absolutely. I mean, we, we had no idea, you know, what the finishes were going to be and, and what kind of costs are really involved in commercial construction up until that time, he and I had both only done residential work. So, you know, we had both done a number of flips and, you know, buy and hold rentals and some of that. Well, you know, the, the scale and the equipment and the costs are, are two completely different animals, which we quickly, quickly uh, learned. But um, to your question on, on how did I pick my partner? Um, you know, I guess that he was available <laughs> and, <so> was I, <laughs> and he was interested and he was committed and it actually has ended up being a, a meaningful and effective partnership where Mm. I, I have a certain set of skills and he has a certain set of skills and those don't necessarily overlap. So can you talk about those a minute? Tell me like what you would codify his skills as that have added so much value. And then what do you think yours are? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he is, um, extremely artistic 
and creative in that way with with aesthetics and finding ways to blend materials and really has a passion for the older elements of the buildings and how do we marry that with new elements and has very much you know helped on that design aesthetic really coming at it from an artistic viewpoint he's he's very artistic kind of in every way and also has a background with doing this construction albeit in in rental real estate and so forth he also has a much different network than me coming from a different background so we had kind of different social groups that we could tap into as we were spreading the word about different elements of these things through the years and then I come at it much more from the entrepreneurial business side of things. I end up, you know, being the de facto um, CFO, I guess, and sort of CEO to run a lot of the business operations, work with banks, and help set up our business processes and and do the HR side of things as well to bring on some of our key people that have helped us create not only these properties. And then what led to a construction management company and a property management company and several other businesses that have come to inhabit our buildings. So it's interesting. Um, do you do you find and we we kind of have done this use. Do you use a bit of your existing company's um, a, a platform to help the, like you had something to work from to build these things? It was that is that your case? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having been in business for 20 years at that point, I'd learned so much about finding the right people, about interviewing, about working with banks and creating processes and systems so things don't fall apart. And a lot of those things have served me incredibly well, transferable uh, experiences and skills that have come through throughout doing business. Do you use though your like your landscape folks like what I what I started doing? We started with a construction company, and I would use the back office to help me accomplish the thing. So I began to fractionally <laughs> use it, and pretty soon I found myself saying, "Oh, so I can put more on these folks in accounting and handling this and that from this new thing." And uh, and, and it kind of got to where they, I was. I was taxing our operations through my innovations. Yes, that certainly is the way that it happened with us too. And and thankfully, we've gotten a little bit of scale now where we can start to put in dedicated team members that are, so I'm not robbing from Peter to pay Paul uh, on a lot of our resources with accounting and back office and all those things that you said. Yeah. I was doing for a while as well. And then it just, got to be stretching us a little too much. Ty, any questions you got coming up? I've got a hundred going. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good stuff. Um, I was going to, I wanted to go back to the, the, the original acquisition for a second, because in our kind of our experience, I mean, we've seen a lot of folks kind of tip their toe in, but going, going a whole block, it's a little huh? bit aggressive. So we've got eight. You said you started with eight buildings. Um, can you give me like rough square footage on that? Yeah. So those eight buildings represented uh, all floors, probably um, 50,000 square feet. That's no joke. So yeah, so there's some there's some scale there. So when you guys bought, uh, you know, had your original acquisition, did you guys already kind of have some programming in mind? Did you already kind of know, already had tenants that you were thinking of? Or how did you guys go about programming? Or was it more of like, hey, we're kind of, we're going to build it and they'll come mentality? Yeah. Well, what we had, what we did have was a vision. And we, we knew that what we wanted was to create an ecosystem. What we needed was something that each place would support some of the others and we could create experiences. So we knew that our wedding venue is going to be a flagship piece of that. And then if we could build around that with certain vendors uh, and, and retailers services, 
we thought that that would be very impactful. We knew that there were some other charming elements that we wanted to incorporate, like an ice cream shop. We knew that a salon would be a really meaningful piece because it's just traffic wave after wave, six, seven days a week. Uh, we knew that restaurants needed to be a part of that for the same reason. And so we wanted to create this ecosystem. What we didn't realize was that not everyone was as much of a dreamer as us. And not everyone had the same risk tolerance as what we did. And that this was a bit of what they called a speculative investment on their part. And so when we started, uh, you know, we announced our plans. Everyone in the community is very excited. They wanted what we wanted, which was a vibrant downtown, walkable community and all of those pieces. And so we started bringing in potential tenants. And so we pulled in somebody that had an ice cream shop, another community, somebody that had a bakery and coffee shop, another community, somebody that expressed interest in opening a salon. And we started taking these people through the buildings and giving them the grand vision and the plan. And each of those tours ended the same way, which was with them saying, you know, we love your spunk. We love your drive and your dream, your vision. But this is just a little too early in this process for us to actually make an investment here. And so what it was obviously disheartening. That was a bit of a setback, but I understood where they were coming from. And so we decided that what we needed to do was just to um, kind of get the ball rolling ourselves. And so we were committed to this project. We had said that we were going to do it and really if, if we said it, we, we intended to make it happen. So if that involved us opening up some of those operating businesses, we were prepared to do that. So our, in, in addition to the wedding venue, which was always our intent to operate that business, we also owned a, or a, opened an ice cream shop and little sandwich shop and a full service salon, as well as some loft apartments. Those were our first like three projects. And we, we owned all of those and we were operating the businesses and we still are today. And that's really some of the challenges, I think. I, I mean, I, I said it in the beginning, Ash and I believed if we if we could get the money because we didn't have any money to repair the buildings, we we believed that renovation was revitalization. Mm -hmm. And we missed the gap that the attracting of successful businesses is no joke. And yep. if you have to create them yourself, which often we did, um, that was another skill set. And we're we're jumping skill sets every time we make these assumptions, right? And, yep. and and trying to figure out how to do that. But the benefit is when you get an operational business and you can put an alignment of it and you own it into your space, a dollar of rents is worth considerably more than a dollar of operational income when when the bank looks at it right yep absolutely yep absolutely and and we believe that same thing initially that you know hey <laughs> we fix up the building people are going to be you know they're going to be knocking the door down to, to get here <laughs> and we found out that was not indeed the case and we've we've realized that revitalization that development or redevelopment is way way more than just fixing up old buildings so going back to that, I mean, you started out, y'all, I know y'all started the, these, these businesses, but did you, have you gotten some traction with operators that you did, did go and are they, have you tend to have created some opportunities for maybe some up and coming operators in some of your space that maybe in these ancillary businesses that you were talking about? Yeah, we have now today we are starting to see that momentum. So we've been at it for four, four and a half years now. And we've had businesses in those spaces for um, nearly four years, some of them. So we are seeing momentum where there is actually operators coming out that are seeing the opportunities and seeing that there truly is uh, opportunity with opening a business downtown. A lot of those have been local folks pretty exclusively. Now we're starting to see the next wave, the next stage is out of town interest, where people are looking at maybe adding a, a second location to a business that they already have. And so 
we are, you know, very excited that that's coming to be the case. And remember, we had COVID right in the middle of that as well. That which, helped a lot. Didn't yeah, it? It, it did. Yeah, we opened our wedding venue uh, three <laughs> weeks before everything shut down. Ooh. So that was a that was a tough, tough go in there as well. Yeah, we, we experienced that. You know, we've been in the wedding venue business eight years or nine years. Yeah. We just opened now an additional 10,000 square foot venue and added 6,000 square foot to our original venue. So we're over 20, say 5,000 square foot of venue space now. And so we're really in the venue business. And we believe if a downtown's going to flourish, it needs iconic food and beverage, celebratory events. Mm -hmm. and amazing overnight stay. And if you have that, you can build a place. And one thing we love about that is that allows us to roll up operational incomes into real estate value. The banks actually understand a resort model. They have some sense of what it means to have food and beverage, overnight stay, events, and uh, all roll up. So you're, you're interestingly building the blocks. And and I think wisely that the easiest one of those to do is events from a, in some ways, from a construction and operation standpoint, and, and surely, you know, from a standpoint of what it takes to run them. Yes. It's like Airbnb yeah, right. for, for space, you know? Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Ty and I actually talked about this a little bit the other day and, and, this idea of what you're talking about, kind of di- diffuse hospitality. That's right. And that's very much what we are building. You know, we started with that first wedding venue. It's been an incredible boon. We've seen 80% of our events, of our weddings, are coming from out of town couples. So in Ohio, that's Columbus, Cleveland, Cincinnati, that's incredible. Toledo. Yeah, coming to Marion, Ohio. So we're really doubling down on this, actually starting with an idea of uh, married in Marion. I mean, Marion's in our name. And then, so, I mean, it's, this is where you got to make it happen. So we are working on a second wedding venue uh, and then 12 Airbnbs that are all set to go online this year, as well as another upscale restaurant to create exactly what you're talking about. Really that resort that is spread over just a couple, three blocks where everything is right there and there's that opportunity and we can put it on a silver platter for them and present that as as an opportunity and it's all basically done for you. So I would completely agree and to others that are listening that that's such an effective model, I think, because people are looking for charm. They're looking for unique spaces. They're looking for inviting hospitality from small town folks. And that's where we really have a competitive advantage over people that are going to a, a metropolitan area and getting this at a you know hotel or whatever. And trying to get married in a sheetrock box instead of these <laughs> unique spaces. And brides want something beautiful and they want, they want to feel beautiful and it be beautiful. And and it's these historic buildings, you know, it's interesting. I've been thinking about constraints and what a blessing constraints are. And so if you even think about margins in a book you read, imagine a book with, where the words run to the edge of the page. Um, those margins do things. And so with us, to your point, these historic buildings, they constrain us in a way that make funky, cool things happen and beautiful things. Yeah. And so it's not just a little better it can be incredibly better because it's how it's designed. And your space is beautiful, the images I've seen of it. You can tell it was done with love. Love looks different if you put it on a flower bed or a bicycle on a front porch or in an event space. You can tell someone has truly loved what they're doing. Yeah, and I appreciate the way that you give language to that, John. When I discovered you through kind of the uh, the connections that dotted my way around to finding you, finding your podcast, and then you know meeting you and Ty and Nelson and your teams. What I really loved was that you put words to what I was feeling. And mm-hmm. this has all just sort of happened so accidentally or organically that mm-hmm. I thought I was fixing up buildings and became a sort of accidental developer. And 
was really trying to do it for the right reasons, trying to do it to build community, trying to put just our absolute heart and soul into these beautiful buildings that have been neglected and people had forgotten about and kind of left our downtown to die. And when I heard you say, you know, the things around doing things with love and the way that it looks on sticks and bricks, <laughs> man, that really resonated with me. And so that's, that's what we're doing. And that's what you're doing. And that's what a lot of people are doing. And I think that it just feels so good to actually have the words to say what it is. Well, we wrestled with the language for a long time because we too started just with a little opportunity and, and we started with a project realized we had a portfolio and now understand that it's a platform. And so that journey was slow and, and we didn't have any money. We we're, we we're making payments and drinking Maylocks and it was shaping us because everything we were trying to do, we said, but, but, but if we don't love this, if we don't treat this with the dignity, love, dignity, and respect, people and places flourish when you put love, dignity, and respect over them every time. It's, it's, it's the soul of life. And so what we're seeing in, in your learning is now our minds are set because we've got, we've gotten a chance to steward so many places and a lot of capital now in those things. And really our laboratory is Opelika. It's where we suffer because we do the work ourselves and have to pay for it ourselves. So that gives us empathy. And because from there, they, others have let us invest in their life and walk with them, it gives us authority because we're over $2 billion worth of stuff we're watching over. And, and everybody's learning lessons like we and you are. And I, I'm excited for, for your town because you are becoming a patron, a person that loves a place so much, you're willing to put your own butt on the line for it and believe for it in such a way, so courageously, it'll make a 50-year difference and no one be able to undo it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's been a transformative journey, both for all the buildings and especially for me. It's, you know, you really have to do some soul searching. The irony is, you probably felt this as well, and probably somebody out there listening, that we're trying so hard and especially from the beginning to build community, but yet it felt so lonely a lot of times, a lot of times. Right. And I feel, I said, it's like, imagine getting up every day and charging hell with a squirt bottle. That's what it right. feels like. And people are going, you know, it, it's funny. I think I felt like people were standing on our head. If we were trying to tread water, they're like, well, let's make this a little harder on them this way too. And and it's, it's the difficulty though. Think about this. You're dealing with capital. And I'd like to hear in maybe each of these categories or anything that strikes you that you learn, but you have to come up with the capital. And once it costs a lot more, you've got to figure out what it takes to get a lot more than you had planned on having. Mm -hmm. Number two is you have to be sophisticated in what you're developing for a tenant or for yourself. And the next one is if you're going to actually watch over that and launch a business, you've got to be sophisticated about everything it takes to operate a business. And your feedback loop is so fast up and down that value chain because you've done everything, made the decisions. And the minute you get done creating the space and getting the business ready, well, now the real work starts. you got to run this thing. Yeah. And so tell us a few things you learned first about like banks and capital, designing your own kind of business, and then the, the struggle of launching it and living with it. Yeah. So I had been, as I mentioned, in business for 20 years and had a, a bit of a real estate portfolio. My partner did too. And so when we went to go talk to banks about getting some money to do this wedding venue, I thought, this obviously is going to be a slam dunk. You know, we have a great idea. <laughs> We've got some collateral. <laughs> We've got some, some business experience. And so once again, naively, knocked on the door and and asked for a little bit of money and it did not come so easily you know i mean the terms that the first bank came back with on this was just absurd you know the the interest rate the the loan to value that they were willing to loan i was like well this is not helpful at all and so what i realized 
over some time is that, and, and probably sophisticated people know this already, but I had to find it out the hard way that different banks have different appetites for different projects at different times. And so one, you know, if one day they have just loaned on a big commercial project and then I walk through the front door the next day, I could have the best proposal in the world, but they're not looking for that kind of exposure in that particular category. And so the answer is going to be no, no matter what I say. So I've advised a lot of people in similar spots to just cast a wide net. You know, this takes, this is, this is shoe leather type investment here that you got to go around and talk to some bankers and ask, you know, make your pitch. And some of them are going to like it and some aren't. And some of that's not anything that you say or do. It's just literally inherent to their risk tolerance based on the type of investment or debt that you're asking for. What a great so, topic because we call it buckets or categories. And so guys listening here, and of course I have borrowed my way to this thing. So I'd be running eight, 10 banks at a time. I never ran three or less than three or four banks on a deal trying to close it because I felt like the only way I could tell when they were lying is when their lips were moving because they, oh yeah, this thing's great, great, great. And I get to the underwriting, which I affectionately began to call the undertaking because <laughs> your deal's going to die over there if you don't watch it. But, um, I, and I'd go in and ask the bankers, I'd say, tell me about your buckets. I said, how are you an owner-occupied commercial? How are you on speculative commercial? How are you on residential? You know, how are you? Tell me your buckets. That's one thing I always ask the banks. Next thing I'd ask the person I'm meeting with, what's your lending limit at each level? Because mm -hmm. if you meet the 250 guys, then yours is 249. Right. <laughs> and if you yeah. meet the million guys, then it's, then it's 999,800, whatever. And so yeah. I'd start asking these questions. Because you're right, you're working against the criteria. In fact, one lady called me the other day from um, Boulder, Colorado, trying to do a real unique deal on a ranch. And she was trying to figure out how the money would work. I said, ma'am, if I could help you here, you need to figure out the underwriting. I said, I'd be going to every ranch loaning um, broker and I'd be saying, tell me what y'all are looking for. Tell me your packages. If, if I'm, can I count donkey rentals? Well, if I can, I'm renting donkeys to everything. If this is an event, they're renting donkeys, you know? And so I was like backing back into this thing. I had to get an education from the, and I used to call them banksters, not bankers, you know? I said, they taught me, but, and there is hope. There's great banks. I mean, our our friend and Jess Carell and their bank, I'm so spoiled dealing with them now because they do what they say, when they say, for how much they say. And I didn't even know that was possible, honestly. After yeah. we, Our portfolio probably had 15 or 20 small banks when we built it. Yeah. It's yeah. the only way we could do it. Same. I mean, we've, we're six or eight in at least, and it's, a, it's an absolute nightmare for reporting and all of that stuff, which again is a thing you didn't know was going to be a thing until you get into this. A year it is ago. a thing though, right? It's oh my goodness. It's <laughs> a thing. But so, and then I realized the other thing I learned about banks is that once you get enough loans with them, that's the other reason that they just cut you off. And well, you became again, too big a fish. Now you actually matter. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, you know, I just thought, I'm a loyal guy, you know, I'm, I married one woman and I'm with her for life. Then I probably can get with one banker and, and we'll go the distance as well. Well, <laughs> didn't happen at all. There's hope for well, you, my friend. Don't give yeah, up for the we, monogamous relationship in yeah. banking, but it's not easy. I tell people it's, it's all, things are relative, but you don't want a relatively faithful spouse. I can tell you that. That's That's it. But in the banking, the challenge is it's so heavily government um, focus in the sense of these categories. And what we're doing is so, they used to say, you know, we want ordinary. I said, well, add extra to it. And you got my project, extraordinary. Absolutely. I said, they're exceptional, not an exception, but, uh, but banks have different rules. Mine and your projects would be considered exceptions to a lot of people inside the banking world. Right. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So we've, 
learned a lot of that the hard way. But I just go back once again is at the very beginning, we said we're committed to this work. And when you're committed to something, not just interested in it. And in my traditional uh, fire ready aim fashion, we just bought the buildings and then we were committed. We, we had to do something with them because the, the payments started coming. And so we needed to figure out a way, uh, you know, as, as John Marsh would say, we were uh, trying to put out a forest fire with hundred dollar bills there for a little <laughs> while where we were using, you know, borrowed money to make payments. And it was a vicious cycle there for a hot minute. But, uh, you know, we finally got a tenant or two and got a few businesses stood up and the, uh, the bleeding stopped a little bit. So then COVID came along and, but, uh, you know, we're on the other side of that now. Well, we say our buildings, though, and, and it, Ty and I are even working on this. You know, we're writing a book, and it's so funny. Ty is is smart, and I'm excitable, and it, it's a <laughs> heck of a combination trying to write something. But but one thing that makes us laugh is we talk about this this whole process of becoming a patron. Like, what does it mean to work through this? And you're doing the work. You're doing the push-ups to get there. And one thing I will tell you is over time, if done well, the momentum gets going on your portfolio and it becomes something that is really, really special and really valuable because it's a place people want to be. And and 50,000 square foot, I mean, just put a pencil on what 50,000 energized square foot cost you today and you've got a decent idea. And it isn't going to be what you've got. Your buildings are irreplaceable. Built by people who don't live anymore, with materials we don't have anymore, and methods we don't do anymore, and approvals and entitlements we can't get done anymore. That's irreplaceable. Yeah. And with great programming, they're unstoppable. Yeah, absolutely. So we keep we keep buying them. So we're uh, continuing to to double down on these opportunities. And as the other challenge inherent to the work that you and us are doing is that we don't have the luxury of just going out and finding a good deal and trying to find something blighted or something that's, you know, a great value add, like a lot of my other real estate investment buddies, we have to buy what's on the block and we have to figure out a way to convince uh, a building owner to sell us their building at a at least somewhat reasonable price and figure out a way to then make it pencil to turn it into something that fits the ecosystem and, and fits the community. And those have been, you know, I've heard you talk about some of those conversations too. You just keep going and beating on the door and sending the letters, sending the emails, making the phone calls and saying, I'm, you know, I'm not going away until you sell me this building and you're just letting it sit here and it's rotting and we'd like to do something with it. And so let's let's figure this out. Yeah, my plan was I said, you can get you can sell me this building or get a restraining order. Either <laughs> one works, but that's about your only choices because I can't, I'm I'm not we're like a tree. We can't move. I mean, we're right. there when you love something. Exactly. And we every time you fix something, you pay more. Mm-hmm. Every time you make it more beautiful, you pay more. And we're elevating really... our own market that we're buying in. We're not selling in the market that we're elevating, but we're buying in it. I mean, it's really kind of a backwards business model here. I'm not <laughs> sure who thought this up. But I don't here know. We are. But, but the great thing is we are able to come to people. And a lot of times we come to people and say, listen, this was your father-in-law story, your father's story, your family thing. Do you, do you think we'll love it? Do you think we'll care about it and solve your problem? And sometimes instead of going to the banks, we go to them and say, if you would lease purchase or finance this to me, I can give you like an annuity for the rest of your finance over 20 years. And I may, I won't pay y'all for, there's a lot of ways to get there when you're buying. And, and what you, what, what you find is if you'll ask what they care about, you can get a lot closer to making a deal because a lot of it's not monetary. It's emotional, it's relational, situational, but that's some of the keys to being able to do it in, in the environments that we're, we're in. Yeah, I, I do joke about it, but, and we've had a few deals that I've kind of had to grip my teeth on, but we needed the building and we needed control of it 
to, to make sure it didn't fall into the wrong hands again. So I feel like we overpaid, but there have been those other situations that you've said where we've been able to get a little creative with some of the financing with the seller, or there have been people that have come to us that because they care about a building and it's just too much for them to take care of anymore. And they want to see it be cared for, be loved for years into the future. And those have been some really great stories. Uh, not everything we've bought now at this point is completely blighted. There's been a lot of really great stories of where we've been able to be the next generation of keeper of the keys on some of these where they've been well loved and they need some more love, a lot of them still, but we've been able to transition it and they know that we're going to take care of it and, and make it something really special and and make it something that's really a legacy for them and us. And those are, those are beautiful situations. So Luke, I got a question around that. I think it would be good. Um, so can you give us an idea, downtown Marion, how, how, give me an idea of the grid, like the, how many blocks are we talking about generally? Yeah. So it's, there's two one-way streets that run in opposite directions and then basically a block in between them. And so between those streets and then the stretch of the downtown is probably what I consider to be the walkable downtown, about 10 blocks. So, so have you, uh, you and your partner, have you guys have to, have you kind of had to discipline yourselves or y'all, have y'all kind of set, like as far as acquisition strategy, like y'all have a boundary that you guys won't go beyond or y'all kind of done any kind of deal filtering and how have you guys really thought through opportunities and constraints in that way? Yeah, somewhat. Again, we're getting a little more sophisticated as we learn these things. And sometimes we don't use the, the kind of educated words on some of these things as far as, you know, filtering and strategy and some of that. But what we do know is what, where we feel like we can make an impact. And we have been somewhat disciplined, especially in the beginning of making sure that it was as dense as possible so that we could really make an impact. You know, those eight buildings on the first one block, that was really impactful because they were all there together. And then as we've added this additional ones, they've been adjacent or close to those buildings are around the corner or things that we feel like can be really impactful. So we have been strategic, I think, in what we've acquired and what we know that we can bite off and, and make an impact with. As far as your, your, the operators that you guys, so I know you said that you, there's like a second gen, if you would, or, of some out of town, but those initial with the local, the local flavor of operators, are you guys, are you guys kind of having to prime the pump a little bit more with them? Um, are they typical, like are you using typical kind of commercial leasing lead generation or is it mostly relational and you're having to kind of build up, uh, build up those operators with more creative alignments? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's definitely very much, um, driven by us and relational. So these are, we've got a couple of boutique clothing stores, a home decor store, another kind of gift and home decor place, um, toy store. These are all places that we went after those people and people that had an interest in doing something for example, the one gal was, she was selling clothes um, that she was sort of distributing and doing through Facebook and some groups and stuff like that, different craft shows and markets. And I approached her about the opportunity of having a storefront. And this was a year or two long conversation before we had the right space and before she was in a position to be able to take the leap. Uh, very similar situations with some of the others where they were not necessarily just coming to us. These are relationships that we had to start and try to um, kind of water and, and help them grow 
give them some business advice, connect them to an attorney to set up their LLC and insurance and a lot of those pieces. And we're really trying to look at how do we do that at a little bit more scale? Do we offer some classes? Do we have some incubator activities? Because I believe that there's a lot of those people out there. They lack some experience. They maybe lack a little business acumen, but they've got a great thing. They've got a great service. They've got a great product. And they need somebody to believe in them and walk them along a little bit and help them figure out how to do it in a, in a business and in a storefront. So we've been successful with that a little bit. It's really created a lot of uniqueness in the downtown, created those experiences that we're going for, but it's, it's like hand to hand type of stuff. It's, it's not at scale. It's not just, you know, throw a uh, ad on LoopNet and people are coming out of the woodwork to seek us out. It's things that we've had to create and curate. So a couple of the people, I mean, interestingly, as we kind of connect the dots backwards during COVID, of course, all of our weddings got postponed. And so we started doing events just to be able to pay our bills, uh, small events, different things. Like we basically treated our wedding venue as like a pop-up restaurant. We used our ice cream shop kitchen to do the food and they're like two doors away. So we had my kids and all kinds of people, they were running food back and forth and we'd have live music and we had 6,000 square feet of venue space so we could spread people out if that's what they needed. So we were running that. And then we also did a couple of handmade markets, craft shows, uh, kind of open air with the garage doors up and everything in our venue also during COVID. And I met a lot of crafters and people that were doing those sorts of things. And through that is actually how I met a couple of the people that went on to create these businesses that now occupy storefronts. And so it's just getting out there and just doing stuff. And we just kept doing stuff and, and eventually some things came to fruition. That's awesome. Yeah. Look, one other thing I think that would be, you know, as you, I, how active you are, right? That's one thing that, you know, John mentioned it. We talked about just the, the vertical integration, right? As you guys, have, you, you not only have built a platform in the real estate, but you've actually built a platform operationally. I mean, you've got these, um, you've got, it sounds like integrated construction. I think you guys are doing your own property management, correct? That's right. Yeah. You, you know, you're doing your own, generally you're, you're handling the finance, all the, traditional activities of development, you know, where we're um, entitlements, relationships with the city and the public. Um, can you give an idea in a sense how big your team is under this umbrella so that, you know, other listeners can kind of understand what, what it takes, what the team looks like? Yeah. Yeah. So now with, uh, we're coming up on about 20 buildings. And so our, team looks like one construction manager. We have three to four maintenance and construction people in-house in addition to all of our subcontractors for all of our licensed trades. And then we, you know, some other unlicensed trades at framing and drywall and all of those activities. A full-time property manager, a part-time property manager, we just hired on a uh, full-time uh, bookkeeper, accounting specialist, and we are currently ser searching for a like a business development person. So that's sort of a cross between a, a realtor and a cheerleader, I guess you would say, <laughs> <laughs> marketer. <laughs> so that's a lot of the role that I've been doing. Again, just continuing to do outreach, trying to create relationships with people that may want to have offices, stores, different businesses in the downtown and trying to help kind of shepherd them through that process to make sure that they have the resources that they need. And, you know, I'll continue to do all that I've been doing in terms of tours and interviews. And, you know, I've talked to every Rotary Club, Kiwanis, Women's Club, Wyman, you know, everybody to, to get the word out and make sure that people know what's going on in their hometown. I think what's interesting too, our, at scale, we've seen 
our largest city is still Winter Haven, Florida. Our, 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 mm-hmm. um, they have a large percentage of 80 blocks of downtown Winter Haven. It's about a yeah, close to $200 million portfolio. <clears throat> but their, their farmer's market has ginned up a tremendous amount of businesses because of it's it's your craft market. Mm, I mean, they've yeah. got a great burger shop called Adler's. They've got another um, amazing breakfast place called Honeycombs. Those all came out of people participating in a farmer's market, realizing the opportunity, and then them helping get them into a, into a, a location. So as our listeners, guys, building these environments where people can show up and flourish and those things is it's incredible. It's very, very, very helpful. It's it's so much relational. It's you know as we look at these things, these are really pretty simple concepts. It's just meeting people and trying to add value to them, looking for opportunities to create something really special for the community and an opportunity for somebody that's out there that. And I know they've always had a dream. They've always wanted to do this thing. They've wanted their own store, their own restaurant or whatever. And that that is part of what gets me up in the morning is to be able to be creating those opportunities for people and seeking them out. They don't come out and, and uh, let me know that they're out there quite as quickly as I'd like sometimes, but they're out there laying dormant and we're trying to, to create the opportunities for them. And for us, that's the key is we've started over 60 businesses in our marriage, Ash and I. And since then, Ty and our team, we've taken and codified much of this. And to us, starting with the tenants um, and the business entrepreneur owners focus and working back to our focus as landlords, developers, and stewards is the key. We don't ask ourselves just how much, you know, could they pay? We ask how much should they pay? And, and and then we align incentives and opportunities. And I believe that's the next level of sophistication in building a, a, a real estate portfolio that we didn't we didn't have anybody that didn't pay through COVID. And we've got over 200 properties. So it yeah. tells you that the, the, the commitment of those guys to keep their businesses open and their and keep their residents and us to have them there. Yeah. We work through it together. And I think the resilience of downtown portfolios like ours has moved up the food chain a lot when they saw that. Cause the, the big guys will say, Hey, you don't like it. Go eat, go pound sand too mm-hmm. bad. We're not paying, but those local people said, we've been saving. We got savings. We're going to keep our, keep our shop open. I said, man, I'd rather deal with people than a process. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful thing. We, we talk about in Marion that, Sometimes we're we're slow, but we're steady. And I see that in a lot of small towns. You know, during COVID, I went to some big cities and it was like tumbleweeds blowing down these blocks, you know, with restaurants closed and all kinds of retail. And there was there was hardly anything that was I mean, it was just gone. And hey, we saw a, a, a business here or there close or. I mean, they closed up for a little while and they reopened. Maybe they didn't reopen, but it's there's a there's a lot more opportunity and benefit to some of this kind of work, even just strictly from a real estate investment perspective, than what a lot of people realize. And I love the conversation you and I had in terms of, you know, it's it's not all um, it's it's not completely uh, how do we say for you know, for the greater good, but it's, it's not completely because it's the most lucrative either. It's working at the intersection of purpose and profits. It's not ignoring either, but but honoring both. And that's what I say. You want to know what's the best real estate development idea of all sophisticated real estate development with love Mm -hmm. that, that you can't beat it. It's unstoppable. Well, I'm, man, we could go on. You are, you're you're a you're one of our kind of people. I'm so grateful for your courage to you and your partner to jump jump off a cliff with parts to a plane and be willing to build them as you fall. 
that is uh, so many of our stories. And uh, I hope that what we talked about today adds value to somebody who's who's sitting there wondering, well, could I do it? You know, um, we have a couple of questions I'd like to ask at the end of each one. Who's doing great work in the world? Who do you know that we should know about? Well, uh, I'll, I, I mentioned him earlier. Uh, my, my buddy from college, his name's Jason Duff. He's got a company called Small Nation. They're in Bell Fountain, Ohio. And they've done, that's uh, 40 or 50 buildings in, in their small downtown town of like 18,000 or something like that. And he's been a, a great mentor to me as well and is doing great work in the world. He's done a little bit like you, kind of taking a show on the road in mm -hmm. terms of helping some other folks. And the need is just enormous for this kind of work. We every, need a hundred cities tomorrow. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's not a local problem. It's a national problem. I mean, that there's so many of these towns that have been forgotten about, but there's people like us in a lot of those towns that with the right resources, the right courage and encouragement that can, can do this just like we have. Yeah, we're not special people in a special place. We're ordinary people in an ordinary place and 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 really blessed with some extraordinary principles. I mean, if we didn't have the Bible says steady plotting leads to prosperity and hasty speculation to ruin. And so it's that tension between ambition and contentment, between between purpose and profits that we feel a bit of a tug of war and we're the rope, but it is an amazing place to be. Absolutely. It's not easy, but it's worth it. It's meaningful work and it needs done. So what have you done that we should do? You've done a lot of crazy stuff, just like, just like we have. Um, I will say we, our family, again, this is a fire ready aim. I decided in December, we had a, family trip with a conference thing we're going to go to with our kids in late uh, January in Lake Tahoe. And none of us had ever put on a ski before in our life. And I announced <laughs> in December that we were going to learn to ski as a family. And, and as is typical, we went all in fully committed, bought skis for our kids for Christmas. And, uh, it's it's been well worth it. There's there's been some falls, but it's been a great family <laughs> learning experience. There's been tons of teachable moments. Nobody's gotten really really hurt. Uh, so hey, you, if you haven't done it, you need to do it. You need to try something you've never done before if you want to get something you never got before. Yes, sir. So what have you read that we should read? Oh man, I. Uh, one of my favorite quotes in the world that changed my life in 2010 is that in five years, you'll be the same person you are today, except for the people you meet and the books you read. So I've become a voracious reader since then. So I could, I could really probably rattle off a whole bunch of them, but uh, probably the most impactful for me lately has been uh, who not how the book, who not how, uh, Benjamin Hardy wrote that, and it's been just my mantra as we've started. You know, we're starting four new businesses this year, uh, working on five significant downtown projects right now, and there is no possible way that that I could lead those individually. It all comes down to the who's that we're attracting, recruiting, and engaging in this mission to make the things happen. So that's been a really helpful book to me and just uh, an easy, that's a uh, bottom shelf concept that I can remember easily <laughs> when I'm uh, faced with something, who, not how. And I tell people, I said, put the, well. put the cookies on a low shelf where everybody <laughs> can get to them. Don't put them up there real high. And uh, it's funny the way we say that is every time you talk about a project, you have to ask yourself, who's the person? Because if you don't have a person, you're going to have problems in your project. Yeah. Somebody's yeah. got to, I say vision has to have a vessel. Somebody's got to own it. So, yeah. Yeah. 
That's well, great. thank you so much. You are an, an inspiration, you and your wife and all y'all guys have going. And uh, we can't wait to the future visiting Marion and all you people out there. Check this guy out. You find him. We'll put links to all his stuff and you can follow him and see just how crazy he is when you follow him on social media and everywhere else and 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 how uh, encouraging you are to try. And so we're uh, we're grateful for you and we uh we're we're we resemble the remarks you made on most of these things. It's a journey we um, resonate with. So thank you, everybody. If this has added value, please share it. Please visit the businesses if you're close to Marion and um, and keep on trying. Don't be scared to, to do stuff out there, folks. It's uh, we only got one life and we're writing checks with our life. Let's do things that matter. So thank you and. Hope you uh, will share our podcast with other folks. That way they can find out about what we got going.